0: questions you always had the answers you were never given the place to seek the truth welcome to veritas
1: for that which can be proven we are told science holds the answers for that which cannot be proven we are told religion holds the answers what do these two categories have in common they are both dogmatic that having been said When anyone speaks of the flat earth nowadays, seem utterly uneducated, imbecilic, or psychologically impaired. Or is it? Greetings to everyone around the world, and a special welcome to all our new Veritas members. I'm your host, Mal Thambergas, thanking you for joining the Veritas family. And if you want to listen to tonight's full interview, and hundreds of others, all you have to do is join the Veritas family by subscribing at VeritasRadio.com Don't delay, subscribe today And if you want to get in touch with me want to be a guest on this radio program or have a guest suggestion just click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com I always love to hear from you And before we begin I wanted to let you know that this is a very impromptu interview without any preparation at all The guests... We're invited at the last minute in order to cover for someone else. But I wanted to let you know that after listening to her talk, I decided to add a third segment that could have been divided into five additional parts because it's a five-hour piece of audio that's there for you as an addendum. When you listen to tonight's talk, you'll know why I added it. Tonight's interview happened all of a sudden when a guest was missing in action. I spoke to a friend, a veteran of this radio program. His name is David Weiss, who also brought somebody with him. Somebody that many of you know. David Weiss has the Flat Earth podcast and is also behind the YouTube channel, The ITRH, that goes for Deep Inside the Rabbit Hole. And Jaron Campanella, he has Jaronism and without further ado, I'd like to introduce both of them, David Weiss and Jaren Campanella, Welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm doing great, Mel. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor and a pleasure.
0: Likewise. I agree. I love it. Thank you so much for having me on, Mel.
1: Jaren, my pleasure too. Why don't we start with Jaren because you've you've never been on Veritas, and again, I have nothing written down here. This is going to be a great conversation. Let's begin with you, uh, Jaren. Your YouTube channel. Tell us about your journey that brought you to the flat earth and questioning NASA, space, the moon, etc.
0: Sure. Yeah, I, uh, about 2014, towards the end of that, um, was uh, kind of finishing looking through religion and realizing that there was a lot of deception there. And I then went over to science's side and I was ready to adopt that as my truth and started to look into some of the things uh, so that I could debate Christians and looked into evolution and looked into, uh, these various topics in space travel and just started seeing a lot of the same things I was seeing in religion. It seemed like, um, you know, foundations had to be adhered to. Um, but when you went looking for some of the evidence of those foundations, I was having a hard time finding it. So ultimately, uh, by the end of 2014 I was questioning the moon landings and, um, really looking into that and came to the conclusion that I thought that was a total hoax or a deception. Um, uh, made for TV movie. And so from that point, I just said, OK, I'm just going to scratch everything, start from the very bottom and, and work my way up with only things that I can prove for myself. And, the you know, the first place that you'll start there is, you know, where do I live? Where what am I standing on? And my wife had actually said uh, a few weeks before that, you know, do you think there could the earth could be flat? And I told her, no, that's ridiculous. How do planes go around it? And, uh, you know, she's flown east and gone to Germany and I'd flown west and gone to the Philippines so I said, no, the, the Earth is clearly a, a sphere. But within that next uh, month or so, I saw the azimuthal equidistant map for the first time. And it was like a light bulb went off because for the first time I realized that something I was so easily able to dismiss, uh, the idea of the Earth being flat because of the fact that planes go around it, just by being shown that map, I all of a sudden looked at it and said, oh, my goodness, planes can fly around a flat map. Um Above the top of it. So I looked at that map and immediately say, okay, I'm going to debunk this. This is ridiculous. Can't be true. And so I said, oh, well, north, south circumnavigation isn't possible on this flat map, um, and is possible on the globe. So let me just go see a couple instances of that and we'll be all set. And I went looking for that and saw that there's so few, um, you know, definitely you can count them on one hand. And the ones that you can count, uh, include, you know, Freemasons. They include friends of the Queen, friends of Prince Charles. Um, people who have been uh, in court and admitted to fraud, like uh, faking accidents on uh, expeditions, things like that. So I quickly said, wait a second, how can we have billions of people who have circumnavigated East West, yet three or four Freemasons who have no- circumnavigated North South? So from that point on, which took me to the beginning of 2015, um, my wife told me, you have to make videos, you have to make videos. And I said, no, I don't, you know, I don't know how I'm you know, uncomfortable. I don't like to be on camera. So I um, just was looking for other people making videos. And sure enough, in February of that year, I saw the clues, which are the, I'm sure many people have heard of them, Flatter's Clues by Mark Sargent, Yep. And I saw the way that he presented um, his information, which was basically showing images and just talking. And that kind of gave me the little boost I needed to say, oh, I could do that. I could talk, show some images. So, you know, I just started with zero subscribers and made my first video and I remember being excited when I had hundred views and, uh, from there, it's just been continuing to speak out about what I see and what I'm discovering through research. And, uh, yeah, so it's definitely been a major focus. You could say flat earth is the focus of the channel. It wasn't intended to be that way. Um, but it certainly is kind of the uh, main focus of my research right now.
1: And David, did you have a similar journey?
2: Uh, absolutely. You know, I did the Deep Inside the Rabbit Hole conspiracy podcast for uh, three years. And at in, in the beginning of the third year, I started getting uh, messages from listeners saying, hey, check out this flat earth stuff, emails, posts on our Facebook. And I would just delete them. There was to the point where people would repetitively send them to me, and I would ban them from our social media. And then one day I was talking with um, a fellow researcher, Sophia Smallstorm, and we were talking about all the different deceptions that are going on in the world and how overwhelming it was. And at the end of the conversation, she says to me, she goes, you know, all I for all I know, the earth could be flat. And I'm like, what? What? You know, I had just banned a whole bunch of people from the from our social media so she she sends me a video. Um, I believe it was the Flat Earth Clues. And then I said, all right, that's it. I'm going in to debunk this. This is ridiculous. And I spent two weeks digging in, looking to disprove it, just like Jaron said. And uh, everything I looked at, I could find a better explanation than the globe. And here I am. Now I know, you know where I stand and that we're not on a spinning ball. There's, men, there's many arguments or um, between different flat Earth researchers on the exact uh, shape, uh, not shape, the exact layout of the map. And that's okay because there's uh, discrepancies between globe maps. But we all know that we're not spinning on a ball
1: flying through infinite space. Before we begin, we discussed a few things offline. And to mention something interesting, Something I believe from the 1900s, a a woman I believe who was teaching heliocentrism. Explain what happened.
2: Sir, so well, there was an article that was found um, in April. It was printed in April of 1900 of a teacher. Uh, I don't. It wasn't a woman. I believe it was a male teacher. The woman was another story. I'll get to that. Who he was teaching heliocentrism and he was being. Um, prosecuted or, or or reprimanded for teaching that we live on a spinning ball. So the changing um, the the opinion of people can only takes a couple of generations, two generations, maybe three. You know, twenty, you know, twenty, forty, sixty years, and you can change it. I I say within you know the next thirty years, Building Seven will never never have existed and. You know, the story of 9-11 will change um, to the official story as it fades away. So the when people say we've known the Earth has been round for 500 years, I don't believe that's true.
1: I think it's been 100 years, maybe. How are they able to change that? I mean, I understand right now would be easier right now because as we transition into uh, to digital media and digital uh, books, if you will, Anybody can, as you said, let's say that Building Seven only appears on digital books, well, it's very easy to just remove that from the equation. But with so many books that's still in printed format, aside from what the Vatican probably has in its vaults, you know perhaps they have a lot of this, a lot of this information uh, written in, in you know human skin somewhere there. But how would how did they do that with so many printed books? you think they just perched those publications?
2: You know, you've heard of book burnings, where you know we're having the modern day book burning now with uh, the purging of YouTube from all of the the research videos done yeah. on many of the deceptions. There, my co-host Jay, Curious Jay from the Flat Earth Podcast, he was uh, somewhere in public and he was bored, and there was an old woman sitting next to him from Croatia, and he decided to hey, just throw a little flat Earth fact at her. And she looked at him and goes, of course, of course, the earth is flat. And he was taken back and he said to her, you do realize that the majority of the world thinks we live on a spinning globe. And she laughed and she says, that's absolutely ridiculous. We were taught that it was flat in school when I was a schoolgirl. And she didn't even know today that people believe we live on a spinning ball. She's heard of it and she just never paid any attention to it. I thought that was a fascinating story.
1: I'm, I'm thinking of, of some of the things that uh, people continue to say. For example, uh, some Greek personalities. Eratosthenes, he, he was a geographer, a poet, astronomer, a music instructor. You know, he may have accurately, quote-unquote, calculated the distance from the Earth to the sun and invented the leap day. Could it be that these personalities that we have here may have been altered?
0: I certainly think so. Um, when you look back at, you know, some of their writings, for instance, uh, Aristophanes are coming up with the circumference. Number one is he would have to assume that the Earth was a ball uh, in the first place. And then he would have to assume that the sun rays were hitting parallel, but also assume that the sun was an infinite distance away. And those things are just not even possible because at that time they thought that the sun went around the Earth and they would be smart enough to recognize that something an infinite distance away would not be able to move around the Earth in 24 hours. So the whole thing is kind of a mess. But even if you look at people like uh, Hero, or I think he's also known as Huron, but he wrote, uh, he is also from Alexandria, where uh, Aristothenes was supposedly the librarian at the uh, the Great Library of Alexandria. And it was just uh, 100 years after uh, Aristothenes' time that Hero wrote. And in his books, he covered the same subjects of geography and um, math and, and things like that, but he never once mentions... Eratosthenes at all, which is a crazy thought that'd be like a, you know, a basketball player going to North Carolina and then playing for the Bulls and writing a book and never mentioning Michael Jordan throughout the whole thing. It's just not possible. It's going to be mentioned at some point in that conversation. So, um, to me, I I just don't think that those things are credible and you had asked, how do they change things? And really now we can, we can just look back, what a hundred years ago and realize how easy it would have been to tell the country, any news story they wanted, because, you know, people were riding horses back to Washington to find out what's the truth. And so at any point, they could have just um, flipped the switch on people and just started uh, whatever people believed in general. You could laugh at that and call it ridiculous and say, no, we've known that it's this and people would believe it. I mean, if there's one thing we've noticed, it's that uh, humans are very believing, very trusting and often are taken advantage of for that reason a new
2: study shows is all you have to say in front of a sentence and people believe it. Uh, And when they go to children and adults and say, Oh, we've known this, excuse me for 500 years. um, They just believe it. And Oh, we've known it for 500 years. I'm not going to question it because I don't want to look like an idiot.
1: So it's peer pressure. It's the herd mentality. You know, many people say those people who believe in the flat earth are just nuts. Uh, You know, some people say great minds think alike. I always say great minds think for themselves. And for those people who continue to write to me saying, why are you touching this subject? Let me just say something really quickly here. Every single interview I do, I get praise and I get criticism. But nothing gives me more praise and criticism than this very topic. And one thing I've learned in my years of existence is that the more you try to please everyone, the least people you please. So I know I'm not pleasing everyone, but I have people who want to listen to Flights to the Moon. I do those shows or UFOs or or this and that. Flat Earth is another segment. This is a kaleidoscope, folks. And we have to just listen to what everybody has to say and keep an open mind. Because I hear a lot of my colleagues out there and I've been to some of those shows. And my goodness, they just ridicule anybody who discusses this. What is it? Why, why can't we just discuss it without always being criticized? Even before you read or you say the second word, they're already telling you you're crazy.
2: It, I forget who said it, but they said, if you want to know who's controlling you, I'll find out who you can't Voltaire. talk about. That's a Voltaire, thank you. So... I just want to say to the people out there that are are laughing or rolling their eyes or unsubscribing that every flat earther has the same story. We were just like you. We said, I'm not looking. It's ridiculous. You're a moron. And I'm not even going to look. But something forces us to look. And when you look and you think and you see, there's no turning back. So I, I'm warning, I'm warning anybody that wants to debunk the Flat Earth, I'm going to do something um, that wasn't done to me. I'm warning you, if you look, there's no going back. It's like when Morpheus gave the red pill to the red pill, blue pill offering to Neo and he warned him. He said, if you take it, there's no going back. Well, that's how Flat Earth is. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you become a Flat Earther, you never you don't switch back.
0: Yeah, a lot of people give me a hard time. Why are you doing this? And how could you uh, keep talking about this subject? And it's, it's because I have to, because the research that I've done has shown me that this is a deception um, on the highest level. And I could never go back to just um, trusting men who tell me I'm spinning, but I'll never feel it that I'm flying through space, but I'll never realize it, that the sun is a million times the size of the earth, but I'll never witness that. Um, All these things are nothing more than words and mathematical equations that have no effect on my life. And once I realized that and realized, well, they could tell me anything. They could say I'm spinning at 7 billion miles per hour, and I wouldn't be allowed to say anything because I don't experience it. But they would just say, well, it's because the atmosphere is Velcroed to the Earth as it spins, and that's why you don't notice it. And the reason that the stars don't change is because they're so infinite distances away. I mean, anybody who thinks that when you look at stars, you're looking at suns 25 trillion miles away or further, simply is trusting the words of men. They're not trusting their experience. They're not trusting um, their observances. They're trusting men who are telling them that that is the case. And those men have never been there. They've never measured it with a tape measure. They've simply trusted the words that they've read in a book. And so really it gets to the point where you're like, there is no proof of these things. And I think an interesting quote, JFK said that conformity is the jailer of freedom and the enemy of growth. And I feel like people are just conforming to what they were taught, what they were told, what they think everyone believes. And that is really uh, harnessing or or, you know, corralling our idea of freedom. And if we're going to grow and get uh, more advanced and to learn and and, uh, discover, well, then you need to be able to go outside the box sometimes and, and test the waters. And that's why they don't want people doing that. Because once you do go outside of this box and test the waters, you can never go back because you'll realize why they taught one thing as being extremely intelligent and why they taught another as being the most ridiculous belief of all time because you start looking into it and you realize those roles are actually switched. Mel help me out who said give me a child from
2: birth to age 7 and I th- I will rule them for life or something like that was it a a Russian scientist um whoever it was it was give me a you know a child sure. in their formative years and you can get them to become anything that you want. So when you're a baby, um, before you even go to school, you're watching Sesame Street. You're watching all of these shows and they're all globe indoctrination shows. And then when you go to kindergarten, teacher has a globe in the front of her room and says, this is where you live. And you're not allowed to question it. This is just the way it is. Every movie, every television show, uh, you know, global, global this, global that, global weather and, By the time you're old enough to think and question, that's not even something you're willing to touch because it's indoctrinated. It is a core belief that changing really affects your ego because then you
1: have to admit that you've been fooled and
2: some people just can't do that.
1: I know one quote that says, I know nothing of hatred, intolerance, racism, sexism, bigotry, indoctrination, homophobia and prejudice. I don't yet understand things like love, compassion, integrity, tolerance, human decency, and truth for the first, most important formative the years of my life. And I will know, and I will know is what you teach me. So choose well. That's not probably not the one you were referring to, but I understand where you're coming from. And when we think of these conferences, let's just pick on one, UFO conferences. I've been to many of them. Sometimes you have 200 people. Sometimes you have... Over a thousand people. This conference, this flat earth conference, garnered a lot of media attention. I saw a lot of the the, the big media outlets discussing it. And seven hundred people. Is this the very first Flat Earth conference ever,
2: guys? This this is the first Flat Earth conference. And um I give it an A plus for What Robbie Davidson, the organizer, was able to pull off, Um, it's scheduled again for next year in Denver, and I think it'll be 10 times better. Jaron made a speech about NASA, which was fantastic, and um, it was really an incredible situation to be in where everyone around you was a friend. Before you even met them, you just know that you have so much in common, and it was the most incredible experience I've had in a very long time. What do you think, Jaron?
0: I, I totally agree. Couldn't agree more. Um, everybody was warm and personable and uh, shook your hand like a friend. And it was just uh, an awesome experience to really get to meet some of these people that before this were only uh, screen names on YouTube or on Facebook. And, you know, you didn't really know them as people. But getting to see that they're just like you and that they have done the same research and have come to the same conclusion Uh, was exciting, and I think you know, David, the the quote you might have given was the one from Francis Xavier, which, um, is a Jesuit who said that, you know, give me a child and, um, I'll give you a man who believes basically whatever I tell him, and that's it, yes, um, and he's just talking about, uh, the best opportunity to indoctrinate a person into a lifetime of belief and devotion to a religious dogma is when they're young, and so really when they teach us at the age of six or first grade by putting a globe in every classroom, they've done a uh, already the, the most important step to getting you to believe a certain line of of belief or a certain uh, line of um, existence. And really we need to recognize that and then say, okay, well, then there should be no problem uh, looking at other alternatives because you're always going to come back to the truth. Why would anybody care? But yet when you talk about this subject, so many people get so upset and so frustrated, and I think it's because there's nothing in our life that doesn't change, right? Our, you know, uh, basically your parents will pass away, your grandparents passed away, your friends change, your school changes, your teachers change. You probably moved uh, from where you lived at some point in your life to somewhere else. So everything changes. The one thing that remains true is where you live. You live on the ball that's spinning in space. That doesn't change. But when you question that, it really is the last thing in people's lives that they have to hold on to and that's why they get so frustrated and really uh, it shouldn't be a big deal to just look into your beliefs i mean what's better than actually uh, recognizing why you believe what you believe or at least understanding the points behind it so that you're able to argue it and people don't understand why they believe in the spinning ball um they think so many things are true that aren't if you mentioned to somebody that you know during our winter that the sun is three million miles further um, then i'm sorry during the winter it's three million miles closer than it is in the summer they 'll tell you that you're wrong and and they don 't understand the model and uh, I think that 's why people get so upset with this one and I just I do the same thing as Dave I challenge anybody just look into it research it, start to find out the facts and the evidence behind uh, why we will why people believe they live on a globe and then ask the question when you start seeing some compelling evidence about the flat earth, why is it that that is the uh, worst thing you can call somebody. That's the most right. derogatory term. <laughs> you know, you're know, you a flat earther. Um, when, Jaren, uh, when, when
2: Jaren says that the sun is three million miles closer during our winter, he's referring to the official heliocentric uh, model because that's what the heliocentric model says. We don't believe that the sun is a burning ball that far away or, or any of that nonsense. You know, many people say, "You know, what about seasons? What about circumnavigation? You know, what, what ships over the horizon?" And then they refuse to listen to the answer because if, if they start listening to the answers, it shakes their foundation. And I've I've had it to the point where I'm answering questions for people, and then they say, well, do you think? You know everything?" Well, the truth is, when you know the truth, you might have all or almost all of the answers and somebody just has to deal with that. Most people that are, are doing this, they'll ask three, four five questions and they won't listen to an answer. So, So my thing that I do when somebody is new to this and adamantly against it, I ask them for just one proof that they can stand behind. And if they're going to say photos of Earth, show me that one photo. And every time I do this, Nobody ever shows me one proof. They won't show me any. I find that very telling. No, for, for, the, for
1: the people who are listening, those of us who believed in Santa Claus when we were little, and, and if you have any little little ones around you, please stop this audio right now. But I remember clearly, vividly, when I learned that truth. And it hurt a lot to the point that I, I engaged in, in suspension of disbelief, perhaps for days or weeks, Because that was so embedded in my mind. Now, imagine if the first time you go to first grade in school or kindergarten or what have you, and you see that big globe next to your teacher, and every year you see the same thing and you turn it around. And I started collecting globes. I have a few Tiffany globes right here in in my office. And now I wonder why, you know, I still have them here. But it's very difficult to remove that from your mind. And everybody who listens to the show knows I'm in the middle. But at the same time, I have questions and I keep giving the example of the ships when people are on my beach house and, and we talk about the subject and they say, look at that ship. You don't see it anymore. All of a sudden they get a camera and boom, it's back. And they, you can see that they, they, they turn quiet and they don't talk about it. Or in the afternoons, I see Baja from my house and it would be impossible at 90 miles to see the entire mountain over there. And I've asked, captains there? fishing captains, and they just don't understand what I'm trying to say, they've always seen it. But when I tell them it will be impossible, that top of that mountain should be 4,000 feet below the curvature. So those are now the what, things. Yeah.
2: It, what When you tell somebody of something that's just undeniable, they just short circuit and they're like, well, there's an explanation for that. Mind I don't really F, care what yes. it is. Yeah. They, I don't care what it is. I'm
0: sure there's an explanation and you're dumb and that's it. Right. It's like I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying, well, you believe that the sun is a spotlight. And I'm like, well, you believe that the sun is a burning ball. I said, go ahead and get a plant and put a fire next to it and tell me if it grows and I'll get a grow light, a light bulb, and I'll put it next to the plant and you tell me which one grows that that plant. It'll be the light bulb. So really, I think it's just evidence is everywhere that what we were taught is simply not the case. And yet people Will even make fun of you for your ideas or your thoughts or your beliefs. Um, not because they've done any, you know, actual, uh, tests themselves, but simply because they were told something is true, like distances of stars or what the sun is made of or how big it is or how far away it is. One that we always go to, I know David's used it recently is the idea of when we watch a sunset, nobody on this entire earth, uh, thinks that they're falling backwards at faster than the speed of sound. And that is what is causing that observance. Clearly, the sun is moving away from you. Um, And I think it's obvious that the sun moves across the sky. I don't think anybody thinks that that's not what's going on. When
2: you say that to a heliocentrist, that, that they believe that they're falling backwards faster than the speed of sound when they're watching the sunset, they say, no, I don't. Well, they do if they believe they live on a spinning ball. Hey, before I forget, you mentioned you have some globes. I invite people to go grab their globe and look for the sticker on the bottom that says, for decorative purposes only, not a teaching tool. (laughs) That's what it
1: says on globes. You've been to Puerto Rico many times, Dave. I know that. You've probably been to the rainforest. There's the largest mountain there. And I used to wonder before, if the sun is closer at the top of that mountain, why is it that I feel so much colder at the top of the mountain than I do at sea level?
0: Jared, what how do you want to answer that? Well, I think that that's, isn't that the case in the heliocentric model or the flat earth model, but we know that temperatures go down as you get higher. Um, you know, why that necessarily is, I don't know. But if you go up in a plane, you'll quickly be at, you know, negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so I think that the way that the air works, the atmosphere works, there's less molecules to warm um, the higher you go. So, you know, the lower you are where there's more atmosphere, then the sun is heating up all of those uh, molecules, which causes the temperature to rise. And then when you go north, or not north, but if you go up, uh, then there's less molecules, which causes less things to warm, uh, which gives you colder temperatures. So I think that's why even at the equator, right, these these mountains are, are covered in snow, you know, and that would be where uh, the sun would be right above them. So I think that's why in that case, is that what you were kind of asking?
1: Yes. And, and also, the higher you go, the less concentration of oxygen there is. Whenever I go to high parts mm-hmm. of Denver, I need a couple of days to acclimate myself because I'm, I'm hyperventilating all the time. Why right. is it that the oxygen levels are so much on the surface? What's It's something keeping it pressured down here?
0: Yeah, I, mean, I guess that um, the heliocentric belief would be that you know, we're connected to this uh, vacuum of space, um, which would seem to be the opposite of what we experience. because wouldn't that uh, remove the atmosphere from the Earth? Um, so, you know, some people might attribute that to gravity. Uh, for the most part, I I look at gravity as basically where the word came from, which is for weight. Um, you know, that things heavier fall to the ground and things that are lighter, um, than air rise up. And that kind of orders the universe as we see it. Um, you know, everything, water and dirt and sand is on the ground. And then as things get lighter, um, you know, as you move up, I want to
2: touch on, on gravity and we live in a, pressure, you know, with the air pressure, there's no scientific experiment that you can do where you can have a high pressure system next to a vacuum without a solid barrier. An example would be an aerosol can is high pressure and it's, you know, in a room you can put it in a vacuum or just a lo- room that that has lower pressure. If you poke a hole in that can, the the pressurized air on the inside will be sucked out into the vacuum or into the lower pressure system. We are told that we live on this spinning ball where the gravity, the magic of gravity is holding the columns of air to the planet. And when you tell somebody this, they go, well, the gravity is holding it. And I have a simple test that can disprove that. We're told that, the, that space is the all-powerful vacuum. There's, there's very few molecules up there. Um, and it's a vacuum. So if you got a get a, a bottle, like a 64 ounce bottle, and suck some of the air out of it and put the top back on, and we'll call that a lesser vacuum, because you didn't suck all of the air out of it. You just suck some of it out of it. And if you hold it upright and you poke a hole in the bottom of it, what's gonna happen, Mel? It's gonna suck the air up into the into the lesser vacuum so that's a lesser vacuum force sucking air up and away you can even stick the bottom of it in the water and poke a hole and it'll lift the water up above the water level that proves that a vacuum can pull air and away or even water away from gravity so what's holding our atmosphere to this spinning ball and the answer is space is not what we're
1: told you know, last year I went to a conference that I shall remain le- nameless. I don't want to accuse them for anything. But I remember being there and a few people were talking about the flat earth in a corner. And I joined them. I just wanted to see what they were talking about. And they looked at me like, wow, you're joining us. That's great. And and I said, well, why are you guys so secretive? Well, nobody wants us to talk about this here. We've asked some of the guests, some of the the uh, conference organizers it's a very open-minded mind, open conference where the most open minded people descend upon that conference from around the world. But that is one topic they did not want to talk about. So they went on the sidelines. You know, I've had a guest on this radio program. And when I mentioned, for example, somebody who has an quote-unquote expertise on space, and I say, okay, you have a rocket ship that's going to space. First of all, there's no oxygen levels there. How does fire work out there? You know, maybe there's a scientific explanation, but how does it push itself? What is it pushing against? Because you need something to push against. And he starts talking about, you know, you don't understand anything about matter displacement, blah, 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 blah. They bring all this stuff out. Have you encountered people like that? Every Every day.
2: <laughs> let, let me ask you a question. If you Have you ever been on a small boat or just a boat? Of course. So you're floating in a very calm lake on a boat and if you run across the boat or just, you know, push with your legs, the boat will move in the water. You can actually move it just by moving your body. If you look at what's going on in the space station, they're going back and forth pushing off the of walls. One time they had a an astronaut in a gorilla mask and they were ch- a gorilla costume, they were chasing it around the station. Where is all of that force going? How come the space station isn't getting you know knocked out of its position when the space shuttle used to go and and dock to it there's no torque no tension how does it and that's all going at 17,500 miles per hour while they're doing that if you really think about it it's just
0: utter nonsense and that speed is the speed that they have to go to leave Earth's atmosphere. So, you know, we just uh, chalk it up to, oh, I guess they're going that fast. 17,500 miles per hour when a bullet um, goes, you know, about 1700 miles per hour. So 10 times slower. And when you start thinking about these things and, you know, I watched a F-22 Raptor uh, recently for an air show. I was was right above my house. I was outside, outside filming it. And when you watch this plane doing these crazy maneuvers, I came in to learn a little bit about it. And I saw that a lot of them have been grounded because these pilots were getting – they were going unconscious um, when they pulled a certain amount of Gs. And these planes don't go um, faster than that bullet, really. And so then when you look at this 65-year-old lady, uh, whatever their name – Petty? No, I forgot her name. Peggy? Is it Peggy? Yeah, Peggy, this recent astronaut. You know, she's going up to the space station at times flying 17,500 miles per hour. She's fine. She's not passing out. She's not – uh, you know, we can't send planes any you know, very fast because they, the structure of the, the plane will get larger and get smaller, and then the fuel leaks, and it's just a big mess, and that's why they can't do that. But we have this belief that they can, even though bullets, which is a tiny little projectile, can only go 1,700 miles per hour, somehow people believe we can put people inside of a much more giant bullet and send it 10 times as fast, and everything's just fine. I think that's outrageous. 17,500 miles per hour is 90 football fields in a second. And if you think that we can put people inside of crafts and send them 90 football fields in a second, I you know, I just have to, to question, you know, have we actually looked into these things or are we simply allowing people to tell us how, how the world works and we just say, OK, well, it must be true because NASA does it. I mean, that's not that's not an explanation for how things fly in space simply because NASA does it or NASA can explain it. Of course, they have an explanation or else it wouldn't be a very good deception. So they tell us that, oh, we bring up our own oxygen and we create an oxygen situation inside the rocket. And then the blast happens and that's what it propels off of. I think you would just spin with no end if there was nothing to push off of. No coordinate system. I mean, think about the uh, craft that took off from the moon. Uh, It takes off from the moon. It has to connect with the other orbiting craft. But there's no reference system. There's no coordinate grid. Uh, you're just in free space. These things are, are just simply impossible. The the
2: moon lander, when it took off, you got three heavy astronauts in that thing moving around, and somehow it was able to just Literally, fire two. a little engine. Two, <laughs> yeah, and it, oh, two astronauts. I'm sorry, um, and fire fire a, you know a rocket and and attach to this other thing that is falling around the moon because that's that's what many people don't realize is when you're orbiting the Earth, the ball Earth or the moon, you're going at a speed that equals the rate of drop. So you are falling, but you just keep missing the Earth. And that concept is, is just a thought experiment. It, it has no basis in reality.
1: Did you ever see, any of you, any footage or photographs of the lunar rover being unloaded from the module?
0: Yeah, I've I've seen some stuff. It looks completely ridiculous and it's so grainy and um, hard to even see what's going on. But I have seen them unloaded on the moon and it kind of seemed like you could see the beginning of it and then you see the the end. But it like unfolded like some origami thing. I don't know. It didn't seem very um, real to me. But I mean, the most important thing for me when you talk about the moon landing is just understanding that these guys had the muscle mass that we have. Right. They weighed 200 pounds. Uh, let's say they have a 100-pound backpack on, so they're 300 pounds, but they're in one six gravity. So that brings it down to, what, 30 pounds? Uh, you know, is, that the, is that good math? No, 50 pounds. So imagine that you weigh 50 pounds, but you have the muscle mass that you have right now. You should be able to leap the, the uh, rover. You should be able to jump 10 feet in the air. You should be able to not—you wouldn't lumber and move slower. You would move quicker. You would be able to run extremely fast. You'd be able to um, do crazy things that we should be able to watch in the footage and see them doing, but we don't see it. It looks like they are in slow motion. It looks like they're lumbering. That's not at all what would happen in one-sixth gravity if you had the muscle mass that you have. You should be able to, to be flying around like crazy, and they're, they're not. They're, it looks like it's in slowed-down um, motion, and even the voices that you hear if you listen to the you know the tapes – it doesn't it doesn't match their their movements meaning it almost seems like they added the audio after the fact because you'll see people fall down you'll see people lifting something or doing and you never hear these sounds that you would hear just like when it landed you hear Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin talking as if they're in a room not with a engine blasting right underneath them they're talking about you know two seconds all right 500 feet two you know there, where's the sound of the engine that is firing right below their feet?
1: It's, it's completely a
0: made-for-TV movie.
1: This is something that I've discussed with many people. The part about how, if, what is it, we were one-sixth the weight, I believe, on the moon. Therefore, yeah. shouldn't it be faster, not slower? And I think this is where Kubrick and Space Odyssey 1999 comes to play. That a year before, they played that movie, and they just, look. you see the slow movement in space. And they wanted to plant that seed and acclimate people so that when we, quote, unquote, went to the moon, we behaved the same way.
2: Exactly. It's hard to fake fast movements, but it's easy to fake it slow.
0: Hey, Mel, let me let me ask you something, if, see if this makes any sense. If you and I went, we were the first people ever to go 240,000 miles away from the Earth. We land our craft on the moon. We get out. What would be the first thing that we would look at or see or comment on? It would to me it would be the Earth. Yes. And if you go back and look at the transcripts between Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, not one time that they were on the moon did they ever mention the Earth. That to me tells me they were on the they were on the Earth. Great point.
1: Great point because and this is another one. Again, folks listen to this. When you see this little blue marble, this little picture that came from Apollo seventeen. It's nineteen seventy two and when you see the little blue marble there but then nasa a couple of years ago gave us the epic epic footage that that little footage that you can see actually go to nasa folks and just put epic moon over the earth and you see this big moon on top of the earth the earth completely covers the entire panorama if anybody was standing on the moon the entire planet earth would be covering the sky and they should be able to make a comment. Look at how beautiful the planet looks, but yet we only talk about this little blue marble. And people still believe that we went to the moon?
2: Please. One of one of the proofs that people say is the picture that they took from the moon of the half lit Earth. Um, but a couple years ago, Rob Skiba, a another flat Earth researcher, took the picture directly off the NASA website, put it in Photoshop, a square and and cranked up the levels and there was a square around it. And just a few days later, NASA updated the photo and silhouetted the Earth nicely.
0: Yeah, they <laughs> did make some changes. Uh, to other changes that I've seen on the net. Uh, the most recent one is there's a site called Earth.nullschool, um, which has a, a a globe when you get there and it you can change the you can tell it to show you the air currents or you can tell it to show you the waves or the water currents. And it has a list of maps that you can change it to. And one of them is the AE, the azimuthal equidistant. And about uh, three months ago or so, they switched the azimuthal equidistant map. When you used to click on it, the first thing that would come up is the map that people would call the flat earth map with the north pole at the center. And then three months ago, it was switched to where it was now the south pole at the center. So the map was kind of inverted, uh, kind of like, why would they change that? And I actually asked the owner and he said, oh, because I didn't want people to think there was anything special about the north pole. So he never replied to my second response, which was, Well, now people will think that there's something special about the South Pole. So what what it doesn't make any difference which one you have when you get there. But most recently, now when you go there and you click the AE map, it doesn't come up. It's been completely removed from the website. That's ridiculous. Why would it be removed unless somebody's telling that guy they don't want that up there? The other thing that happened was on a site, the planetarium site that I go to, which is neve.planetarium.com. Uh, they have the you know the skies and you can change the date and time and it adjusts the stars and everything. Well, I was showing people that I don't think that the North Star Polaris moves because I was showing people you can change the date to 10,000 AD whatever you wanted and the North Pole star is still there in the center. Well, within a week after I made a video about that, uh, you went back to the site. Well, somebody had emailed me and said, "Hey, how did you get it to go to 10,000 AD? I can't get it to go past 2,500 AD." And I said, well, "No, just keep hitting the you know the plus one year button." And they said, no, it doesn't work. So I went and looked and sure enough, <sighs> they changed it changed. Yep. Now the limit is you can only go back to 1500 A.D. and you can only go forward to 2500 A.D. Um, so, again, they've you know, effectively shut down any kind of argument about that because they can tell us that the North Star will be blankety blank in 4000 years. And they can say it used to be Thuban and you know 4000 years ago. And, yeah, people are going to believe that because they're being told But when we go to this software and try and adjust the times, well, it doesn't work like that because if Polaris is going to move over the course of the next thousand years, then it needs to move a little bit every hundred years and a little tiny less every 10 years. Well, that would throw off the entire program because the program needs to know where stars are on certain dates and certain times. So it just tells me right there that there's issues. I remember people saying that the uh, pyramids were the shafts of the pyramids were aimed at the former North Star. Uh, Thuban, And I was doing research on that and figured out what angle these shafts were at, which is like 31.5. And I said, you know, if I go and look up the location of these pyramids and they're at 31.5 degrees north, then I'm going <laughs> to flip out. Sure enough, I go look and what do you know? 31.5 degrees north, which means that they're currently pointed directly at Polaris. So they want you to believe that when they were built, they were pointed at the star Thuban then there was a period of time for 4,000 years that it was pointed at nothing as the stars switched places, and now we just happen to be living in the time where it's pointed directly at Polaris. The, the amount of beliefs you have to concede to believe in the heliocentric model is is shocking.
1: I remember when I was talking to with Eric DeBay years ago, and I mentioned how these all these authors that talk about ancient ones and the pyramids and this and that, they completely refute the flat earth. But a lot of these ancient ones, that's the way they had it. They thought that we lived on a flat plane. Why is it that these people completely debunk any notion of flat earth today, yet their research or the people, their subjects, go contrary to what they believe?
2: Hey, jumping jumping back to the the map that, the website that shows the air currents and converts the different maps to the AE map, which it no longer does. You know how on the globe map in school we were taught how the air currents go, and they go in this huge sine wave pattern. You know, the air current goes up here about North America, and then it dives down. Yeah, we all remember that, correct? Once you switch those air currents to the AE map they're perfect circles going around the center and at different levels, they go in different directions. It's organized. It works
0: perfectly. Yeah. And that, 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 that that's why they that, got rid of it. Right, Dave. I was just going to say, that's yeah. why they won't let people look at it. Cause if you go and you start observing currents, air currents, uh, at different heights, anything, everything looked so perfectly well organized on the AE map because all it is, is things moving in a, Uh, Well, for the most part, everything moves counterclockwise on that map, other than the sun and the moon. But when it's moving counterclockwise, everything was ordered. It made sense. When you look at the globe, it makes no sense at all. In fact, our heaviest jet streams are going east, which is the direction that the Earth spins. So it doesn't even make sense if they talk about this atmosphere is velcroed to the Earth. Well, how is their winds moving faster than the Earth spins in the same direction it spins? It doesn't even make sense. And when you look at the globe, like Dave said, it's like a sine wave. Everything just looks like a disaster. And I'm sure that's why they got rid of that map because people were starting to look at it and say, well, why does everything order so perfectly on the AE map and look like a convoluted mess on any other map that's on that site? And I think there's about 10 of them. You know, there's 10 different uh, types of maps that you can look at, and they all look like a mess. You know, they have the um, Atlantis map, they have the conic equidistant, they've got the uh, equi-rectangular map and the Patterson map. So they've got all these different maps that all don't make any sense. And the one that did make sense has been removed from the site. That's crazy.
1: What about planes? When you're flying in a plane, you have this little monitor in front of you in the front seat and you see how the plane is almost like going up and down. I wonder if this could be transitioned into a flat plane. If you would see that plane just going on a straight line from point A to point Z. You know, if you go from one place without having to make any it stops anywhere. But would that also change the, the the actual monitor to look at it as if you're going straight?
0: I think so. I mean, for, for me, I just got back from going to North Carolina and, you know, I watched the, uh, the seat back in front of me and saw that they show this arc, right, from San Francisco. Exactly. To North- right. And uh, clearly, you know, that arc doesn't make a lot of sense. And then when you bend it to a flat earth map, all of a sudden that arc turns into a straight line straight from san francisco to north carolina so to me yeah definitely that if we look at those maps there's a reason why those things are and another thing we you know i would love to get somebody to use their compass on a flight there's flights that go from say south africa to australia but they always head up and hit dubai first they never go straight they, they do this weird 90 degree angle as if they fly to dubai and then make that 90 degree right turn well if somebody had their compass with them On that flight, they would be able to um, basically tell is the plane making a 90 degree turn there or does the plane remain for the most part uh, straight and level, in which case we have more proof um, of a flat Earth. And it just seems like for me, everything I look into, I'm finding nothing but things that show me that we've been deceived. Um, For instance, people always go back to these flights from Sydney to Santiago, Chile and question that. And because there's a huge amount of space there that they have to cover in a short amount of time, I think the flight going one direction is 11 and 11 and a half hours. But when I started looking at that, I said, okay, well, flights can be crazy because we don't know what the jet streams are doing. The plane wouldn't be able to even register the speed if the jet stream is carrying the air that they're in. So then I said, well, let me look at cruises because a cruise is not something that can be drastically different. right? A cruise ship can't be magically going 50 miles per hour faster than we think. So I looked at that, and there is no cruises that go from New Zealand or Australia to South America. They all go up along the Philippines, uh, along through Alaska, down the coast of the uh, United States. And so those are the kind of things I'm talking about. Now, of course, you'll have heliocentric people tell you, well, it's because nobody wants to sail in the Southern Oceans, and there's nothing to see down there. But there is, <laughs> there is Easter Island. There's a lot of different—and um, people go on a cruise because they like to gamble, and they like to uh, eat smorgasbord, and— So there is reasons why there would be a cruise from Sydney to, say, South America, but they don't exist. Also, with the underground cables that, you know, people think our Internet comes from the sky when we all know that there's these underground sea cables or undersea cables that have been run since the early 1900s. And when you look at that, there is no cables run from New Zealand or Sydney to South America. And in my opinion, that's because. The distance is much more than the globe map tells us. So if somebody were to try to run a cable, they would figure out the distance. They would say we need 6,500 miles of cable. They would get out there and run it and realize, oh, shoot, we're 2,000 miles short. What happened here? How did this happen? So rather than that, they just make sure all the cables run up north and then across. Because in the north, the map is basically the same, whether it's a flat Earth map or a globe. There's not much change. And that's why that's where all that stuff takes place.
1: What about, all of, go ahead, uh,
2: Dave. No, I was just going to say for those those that don't realize it, all of these crazy flight paths and ship paths are straight lines on the flat earth map.
1: What about GPS, for example? No, forget about GPS for a moment. But people who have the satellite, you know, dish network or what have you, and they're pointing at a certain direction in the sky. Where is that? Even at the beach, they're pointing towards the ocean. What, what exactly they're pointing to then?
0: Well, I think that, um, you know, I don't fully understand the, the bounce that we get off of the uh, troposphere, I guess they call it. And so really, technically, if you were to send a TV signal from a certain location and bounce it off of the sky, at wherever people point, pointed their disk, their dish, sorry, uh, as long as that's where the exact point of the bounce was, then they would pick up that signal. So to me, that's not out of the question by any stretch. Also, the idea that we've seen many uh, balloons come down and attached to the bottom of the balloon is this huge satellite. And th- they didn't tell us these things. Now, slowly, these things are starting to come out. Dave and I went to the Natural Science Museum in North Carolina this this past week. And even they had this whole section set up that was talking about these balloons that they're using now to go up and get these weather patterns, which is just crazy because it wasn't discussed before. But they've been sending up balloons uh, 50 a day, NASA admits, uh, since the 70s. So these balloons are up there, and they can carry 8,000 pounds. And for anybody who doesn't know, that's about three small cars um, that these balloons can carry. And they also can control them to the point where they can keep them in the exact location. If they start to float in any direction, they can just adjust it. If it starts to sink, they can release a little canister of, um, you know, helium or a little canister of hydrogen. And then if it's getting too high, then they just vent a little bit. And that can all be done with a computer program that no, no human even has to watch over. And these balloons would just stay in that location. So we can either believe that, that something so inexpensive as a helium balloon can carry this apparatus that they can keep in the same location, or we can believe that, you know, 4,000 pound uh, metal boxes are somehow orbiting the earth at the exact speed that the earth is orbiting or spinning and they're 25,000 miles away. I mean, that's what people think GPS is that that these 25,000 mile away satellites are sending a signal that you have to time by the speed of light, even though it's going through the atmosphere and it might hit a cloud, which would slow it down. None of that stuff matters because obviously our GPS tells us exactly where we are. So doesn't it make more sense that it's simply simply triangulating with ground-based stations, that are a few miles away from you, not 25,000 miles away, and it just so happens to be orbiting at the perfect speed. And we, we just give these guys too much credit, in my opinion, um, rather than realizing what makes more sense and what would cost less money. Uh, but they charge TV $350 million to put up a satellite in the sky, which causes everybody who has TV to pay $100 a month to access this signal. So does that make more sense, or does it make more sense that we put a balloon up that basically can do the same thing for one one thousandth of the cost and somebody's pocketing the rest of the money and making us spend money that we don't really need to spend. I mean, t- think about that. There's cables going to all of our houses. So why is TV have to charge us money? Anyway, they're already ran. The cables are already run. We can have free internet. Just everybody just have the internet, but it's not <laughs> the way it works. I was doing some research on on DirecTV
2: and they have their own towers now that, are, that actually have, you know, There says DirecTV on them that are dedicated to them because they say it's cheaper to send it through a a ground-based system. And if you look at all of the dishes around me, they're all pointing parallel with the ground almost. They're not pointing up at the sky. So the thing that got me is uh, when I used to go to the Caribbean a lot, um, long before DirecTV was out, my father's home down there – had one of those giant dishes on his, you know, like 12, 15 feet wide dishes, and you would actually move it to get different channels. So I I think that they they send the signal up to whatever you want to call the sky, and they're bouncing signals off of different spots, and you can hone in on them. But I, I truly think that the Direct TV that people see now is coming from cell towers. I also find it interesting. That as soon as you get offshore
1: in an airplane, the Direct TV turns off. Well, could it be, Dave? Bear with, bear with me for a second. For, forget about satellites for a moment or balloons. But we've all heard about a ham radio, and they say, "Oh, it's bouncing on the atmosphere." If there is indeed a firmament, why couldn't we point our little dish? Towards the firmament, they tell us, oh, point it at a certain degree, that signal is just bouncing up and then down to the receiver antenna, wherever, you know, satellite TV comp. I mean, quote-unquote satellite TV companies, this or what have you, they have their central, you know, location. So we're actually bouncing up and it goes down and up and back to us. Wouldn't that be more accurate?
2: Sure. I think there. there's, I don't know exactly how they do it, but that
1: could be part of it for sure. Now I used to fly planes before and I have to tell you even back then I never even occurred to me to detect a curvature but you know for my pictures and and looking at the horizon I never saw the curvature. However, if you're just flying straight and level why is it that you don't have to point the nose down every so often? That one question number 1 and question number 2 If I'm going east or west, what happens if I put autopilot, go to, you know, whatever XYZ degree, would I escape to the outer edges of the South Pole, if you know what I mean, the ring, or am I going to be going around in a circle?
2: So when you're traveling east or west, you're traveling in a circle around a magnetic center point. So our North Pole is at the center of the flat Earth, and when you're in the, the, the northern part inside the equator, on a globe or a flat Earth, when you're heading 90 degrees east or 270 west, you have to constantly turn towards the north to maintain that heading. Because if you keep going dead reckoning straight, you're going to go away from north, and that's south. And and people say, well, that's not true. You know, they, that, that, that doesn't happen. And therefore, the Earth is a globe. There's many reports of ships captains wondering why they have to constantly correct to the north. And they just blame it on currents or whatnot. But what people don't realize is on a globe, you have to do the same thing. The only time you can dead reckon east or west on a globe is if you're exactly on the equator. And that would be dead reckoning. The problem is, on a globe you had in the Southern hemisphere, you would have to correct to the South to maintain that heading once you're below the equator, but that's not what happens. There's reports of ships, captains saying they always have to correct to the North. That to me is a solid proof that we do not live on a sphere.
0: Yeah, correct. If you look at the, you know, the path that a plane would take from Sydney to Santiago, um, you would think that they need to correct to the right, right? Because they're going around the South Pole or around the South. But if you look at that flight path, it's a big letter U. Um, of course, they say that's because that's a great circle route. But really, isn't that just an excuse for the plane to correct uh, to the left or to the north? So to me, I mean, there's so many proofs everywhere, but that's that's another you know, great one. Uh, it seems like we're given all these little tidbits of information, and they're all an excuse as to why something works You know, the way it does, for instance, the planes that you just talked about flying off into space. um, I just saw a video recently where they're saying the reason that planes don't have to nose down is because the plane never descends because it's always the same distance from the center of the Earth. I mean, this is a ad hoc explanation that makes no sense in reality. It's just like they believe that the ocean in Australia is level with the ocean in Santa Cruz, California. Now, to anybody who's thinking that makes no sense at all, but that's the heliocentric belief, and it has to be that way because they have to be able to explain why things work on a ball. So they have to say that the sea is level, that it's level in Australia and it's level in Santa Cruz, but we know that one's upside down from the other, and that's the complete opposite of level. You would have to bend from one place to the other to get there. You know, Simply put, there's nobody upside down from you. It's, it's all an um, imaginative, inventive theory. Uh, that has no, you know, no, a place in in our reality. That it just doesn't happen in reality.
1: Folks, we have to take a one and only break. But when we come back, I want to discuss a few things. Lisa Blair, she's actually going around, sailing around the Earth. I'd like to know what you have learned about that, also from this conference. Seven hundred people. I guarantee you, folks, that there were some closeted flat earthers there. They were probably doctors, attorneys, pilots. And you probably interacted with a lot of them. I'd like you to tell me what they told you. Also, I have a few questions from people who have sent me questions throughout the years. They still want to learn if this is true or not. David Weiss, Jaron Campanella, how can people learn more about your work? Um, I have a
2: podcast simply called The Flat Earth Podcast. You can find all of our social media links at theflatearthpodcast.com. Uh, it's available for Android, um, iOS. It's on YouTube, the Flat Earth podcast. That's it. And my YouTube channel is D I T R H. stands for Deep Inside the Rabbit Hole. It's a great place for people that are just learning about Flat Earth, because I have over a hundred videos, and almost all of them are under five minutes long. With with today's short attention spans, it's a great way to to introduce somebody to the concept. And then they'll be willing to watch one of Jaren's videos, which are quite,
0: (laughs) quite longer. (laughs) Yeah, I tend to uh, be a little long winded sometimes. Um, Yeah, but I've got 320 videos on my uh, channel, which is Jarenism, J-E-R-A-N-I-S-M. You can also go to Jarenism.com. And right now uh, I have a little link on my site that goes to my SpeakPipe, um, or you can just go to SpeakPipe, SpeakPipe.com slash Jarenism, and you can leave me a 90 uh, second message And I've promised everyone that I will reply to every single message because it tells me that you're real. It's easier for me to do than um, trying to read through a bunch of emails, uh, some of which I don't think are even sent by uh, necessarily real people. This way you can call, leave me a voice message, 90 seconds, and you can get a guaranteed response, which is just me replying in voice for 90 seconds. So, uh, yeah, check that out. Um, That's at my site, Sharonism.com.
1: Appreciate it, Mel. Thank you both folks don't go anywhere much more when we return we also have a discussion that i like to have with them regarding the formation of our continents formation of other puddles around us how could that happen The are ara- bore realities a question that a lot of people have and we've done in the past but i'd like to revisit that this is mal fabricus and you are listening to veritas don't go anywhere
2: Thank you for listening to
1: the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, Miracle Mineral Solution, Pure Organic Sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.